Straits brings legal and business insights at the intersection of the shipping and energy sectors. This podcast series offers trends, developments, challenges and topics of interest from Reed Smith litigation, regulatory and finance lawyers across our network of global offices. If you have any questions about the topics discussed on this podcast, please do contact our speakers. Hello and welcome to the second edition of Trading Straits. My name is Nick Austin. Uh, I am a partner in the transportation team in the London office of Reed Smith. I focus on resolving disputes in the shipping and commodity sectors for a range of uh, global clients in mediation, arbitration and court proceedings. I'm delighted to be joined by two of my partner colleagues at Reed Smith, uh, Jennifer Smokelin and Adam Headley. Jennifer is a partner in Reed Smith's global energy and natural resources practice. Based in the US, she's a bright, energetic thought leader on environmental and emerging energy issues, greenhouse gas legislation and related environmental issues, with particular experience in the mid-Atlantic states, Texas and California. Adam is a partner in our environmental practice based in London. He advises on a broad spectrum of environmental climate change and carbon market matters under UK, EU and international law. Adam, what are we going to be looking at today? Thanks, Nick. So we're going to kick off the podcast series by focusing on um, carbon emissions in the maritime sector. This is an issue which is getting more and more attention uh, following a number of industry and global initiatives aimed at reducing the carbon footprint of the shipping industry. And currently, the shipping industry only emits about 3% of the world's carbon, but at the same time, moving around 90% of the world's trade. So we're seeing a heightened focus in this area, and it presents quite a range of opportunities, um, but but also some, some very serious challenges. So Nick, perhaps you can start us off. What key challenges does the shipping industry face in meeting its target of halving carbon emissions from ships by 2050? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Look, I think there's no doubt that shipping is approaching a really pivotal moment uh, on its path to decarbonisation. I think there's still a long way to go and a number of key challenges to to overcome. As you say, the the IMO, the International Maritime Organisation, has set a target of halving emissions from shipping uh, by 2050, some 29 years from now. That's estimated by some, at least, to require at least half uh, $500 billion dollars investment by 2030, and to require really swift action by industry, governments, uh, and the IMO itself. But, you know, a good question. What are the challenges? Well, look, I think there are four key issues to look at. First, what actually are the future fuels going to be that uh, power ships instead of fossil fuels? The technical position at the moment is really complex. It's still developing. It's still evolving. There's a consensus beginning to build on ammonia as the most cost-effective deep-sea zero-carbon fuel. But so far, there's little in the way of practical experience and in-service testing from engine manufacturers on what's actually going to work, particularly for longer sea voyages. 23-24 is expected to be the period of time where we're looking at results coming out from engine testing, which will give some clues, I think, as to what future fuels will be. So I think at the moment, we're a bit on hold around what future fuels are going to look like. 
And we're waiting for some certainty and clarity on that. I think the second issue, and perhaps related to the first, is, is the really major challenge of developing high volume availability, affordability, and a properly functioning infrastructure for alternative fuels. I mean, that in itself is going to require really massive investment in land-based facilities and robust fuel supply chains. If vessels are going to get consistent, reliable supply of fuel when and where they need it. And all of that, remember, is largely outside of the control of the the shipping industry and will need huge investment and, and support from national governments. The third and fourth challenges are really about time. The intricacies of timing really need to be considered because to achieve that 2050 target, the regulatory and market processes needed to move quickly. And the IMO has been criticised a fair bit on this for not keeping up the pace. But with the transitional period having already started last year, 2020, getting to zero emission ships and getting them commercially viable and above all safe probably needs to be achieved by the early 2040s if the goal of halving emissions by 2050 is going to be met. So those timescales aren't clear. Much of it, again, is outside the shipping industry's control. But there is a consensus emerging that action is needed sooner rather than later. And the final challenge is whether, again, related to timing, is whether the real change required to meet the 2050 target is going to be driven by regulation or with the market taking the lead, or, or perhaps a mix of the two. A lot has been said in recent weeks about market-based measures being part of the solution, helping to accelerate decarbonisation. And the United Kingdom Chamber of Shipping has been quite vocal about that. It's chief this week saying that by putting a price on carbon emissions, ship owners will be encouraged to switch to those fuels. But look, at the moment, there's a perception that the IMO is not doing enough to justify that investment by owners in zero carbon uh, solutions. But clearly, in parallel with regulation, market-based measures, I think, have a role to play. So in summary, I mean, decarbonisation is the number one item on the industry's agenda. It's going to affect all significant investment and strategic thinking. And clients, as you may know, often approach us about how to manage the risks of all of this. And I think they need to be getting on top of the knowledge, getting on top of the signposting and messaging from the IMO itself and retaining a flexible and nimble approach on fuels and the technical aspects as they develop. And of course, there'll be legal and contractual implications uh, because all of this throws up new commercial and legal relationships as well as uh, fresh uh, regulation. But I think, Adam, that's how I would summarise the key challenges. Thanks, Nick. Following up and focusing on the regulatory aspect, I'd like to turn to Adam. What is the EU doing to regulate carbon emissions from shipping? And how does that sit in the global context? Thanks, Jennifer. Good question. Um, So the EU has been looking at how to integrate shipping emissions into its um, wider greenhouse gas emissions reduction strategy and policies for quite a number of years now, probably since about 2013. A big complication has always been that EU lawmakers are aware that whatever the EU does, it needs to dovetail with what's happening at a global level you know, at the level that Nick has just discussed, and the work in particular of the IMO to 
examine the need for regulation of shipping emissions. It's probably uncontentious to say that EU lawmakers have been frustrated with the lack of progress made by the IMO towards this goal, and the wider reluctance generally of the shipping industry to submit to any kind of regulated emissions reduction or offsetting scheme, some kind of market-based measure, as, as Nick has mentioned. So what we've seen increasingly so is the EU threatening to take unilateral action to regulate shipping emissions in the EU to try and spur the IMO into action, really. So the stage one of the EU strategy um, was the introduction of a, a monitoring, reporting and verification or MRV scheme for CO2 emissions from ships using EU ports. That came in from January of, of 2018. Uh, then at the end of 2019, start of 2020, as part of the EU's very ambitious European Green Deal proposal, which covers just about every industry and includes a vast range of policy measures, not just um, the shipping sector. The EU officially set out its roadmap at that stage towards bringing shipping emissions within the EU's existing regulated carbon market. And it was it was last September that the EU Parliament then voted strongly in favour of moving that proposal forward by including shipping emissions within the EU emissions trading system, or EU ETS as, as we commonly call it, by January of, of 2022, although it's it's not clear at this stage whether that will happen or whether that date will, will slip slightly. Many people will be aware of the EU ETS, but just, just to give a, a brief intro to that, the EU ETS is the, is the EU's flagship um, cap-and-trade emissions regulation scheme, and it represents, in fact, the, the world's largest regulated carbon market. It's been in place since um, 2003, for a variety of land-based sectors and was later expanded to include the aviation sector in 2012. The EU ETS works um, like any other cap-and-trade scheme. It imposes an EU-wide emissions cap on all operators who are caught by that scheme, both land-based and aviation, and it allocates a share of that cap, overall cap, to, to each operator who then has to obtain enough carbon allowances to cover its emissions, and that's effectively the, the compliance obligation. The inclusion of aviation emissions actually sets a precedent for how we would expect to, the EU to legislate for bringing shipping emissions within the scheme. If it works anything like it does with aviation, uh, we'd, we'd expect it to catch emissions from ships which sail to or from uh, or between EU ports, but it wouldn't cover emissions from voyages outside of the EU. To bring this up to date, so the EU consulted on that proposal into the start of this year, 2021, and that consultation noted, in fact, that only around 35% of the people who responded were in favour of bringing shipping emissions into the EU ETS. So actually, a majority were not in favour of that move, which perhaps isn't, isn't surprising, um, certainly at an industry level. The Commission hasn't confirmed yet whether and when it will press on with bringing this legislative proposal forward, but it seems likely to happen, um, barring something very significant happening at IMO level. The EU has certainly recognised the need to align IMO and the EU emissions regulation measures, but precisely how it will happen currently remains a bit unclear, given the, the differing approaches towards how emissions from the shipping sector should be regulated. So a lot of political posturing still going on, but I guess watch this space and 
with that, I'll, I'll hand back to you, Nick. Adam, thanks for that. That's a really interesting perspective from the EU side. Jen, you're, you're in the US, of course. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the challenges the industry is facing in meeting US mandates, or, or perhaps the expected mandate on uh, decarb uh, under the Biden administration. Yes. In the next four years, issues related to climate change will pose challenges to the maritime industry in the United States, while perhaps not as robust as what you, Nick, and Adam had discussed going on with regard to EU regulations. The challenges in the U.S. can be summed up in two words, increased regulation. President Biden has promised to set the U.S. on a, quote, irreversible path to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. This cannot be achieved without addressing the transportation sector. And as we know, shipping is a part of the transportation sector. So make no mistake, shipping will be addressed as part of that plan. The question, of course, is how. What will the increased regulation of shipping look like? We don't have a crystal ball or a roadmap at this point, but we can look to previous actions of the 116th Congress to predict what the current 117th Congress might do. The 116th Congress introduced but never passed legislation titled the Ocean-Based Climate Solution Act. Specific provisions of this act required vessel speed reductions in marine mammal habitat, as well as voluntarily reducing vessel speed in exclusive economic zones. Perhaps more important for the shipping industry is that this legislation offered grants to ports to establish programs to establish reduced vessel traffic in these marine mammal habitats. I think a second very important issue for the maritime industry is how the maritime industry can be or will be affected by environmental justice issues. Environmental justice is fair treatment for all people with regard to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws. This has been a strong point and embraced by the Biden administration. Given that embrace by the Biden administration, and given the fact that the U.S. Department of Transportation has identified the worst pollution spots in the U.S. surround U.S. ports, we also know that many of these ports have large concentrations of Black and Hispanic communities that surround them. So we can expect to see regulations under the Biden administration requiring emission monitoring and verification of ships entering U.S. ports as a way of protecting these poor communities surrounding U.S. ports. Carbon emissions will be part of that emission monitoring and verifications. So I hope that answers your question, Nick. Thanks for that, Jen. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, President Biden's plans uh, develop on that. Uh, And also really uh, following Adam's answer and my thoughts earlier to see how all of this develops globally. I think it's uh, an extraordinary time and there are challenges and opportunities, I think, for for the market. 
So thank you to both Adam and Jen for joining us today. That brings us to the end of this episode of Trading Straits. We all hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting and informative. And we hope you'll join us for the next episode of Trading Straits. And of course, don't hesitate to get in touch with us or your usual contact at Reedsmith if you need to. Trading Straits is a Reedsmith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reedsmith's energy and natural resources or transportation practices, please email tradingstraits at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.